So things are clearly bad, but they're being made even worse by people who have refused to take the vaccine and instead are swallowing horse paste. The emergency room in one rural Oklahoma town is being overwhelmed by people overdosing on ivermectin, the horse deworming medication. It's gotten so bad that gunshot victims, gunshot victims are having to wait to be treated. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Well, I guess Thursday, March 10th, 2022, as I normally open after that intro, I doesn't. most people don't really think of it a difference between the interviews and The Daily Wrap-Up, but that's something I do try to keep separate. But today we're going to be doing an interview, and it's a really important one because it's such a topic that something that's been happening with COVID-19 in general, and and now with Ukraine and Russia and everything else, it's really exposed to a large degree how willfully dishonest or, I mean, just incompetent some of these people are around very, very, very clear topics. Ivermectin was one of those this entire time. And as the very beginning of this, I was, and I still sort of am, very resistant to essentially promoting any big pharma drug. (laughs) That's something that I, I have a hard time with. But at this point, it's undeniably clear that at the very least, there's an effort to pretend they don't see the evidence that they're manufacturing. You could look at it that way. Or there's enough evidence out there that they're just continually disregarding that show you that ivermectin is, it's, just has an effect that is worth using at the very least. And to be quite clear, has an obvious antiviral effect that seems better than anything else we're pointing at if you're trusting what the scientific research says. Yet they do not talk about it. In fact, they attack anybody that discusses this topic. The thing you saw in the beginning there, you may remember that joke, the horse paste conversation. She was shown to be false in that. She was pointing at people in line at a hospital that were in line for COVID tests. And they came back around and the hospital said, that's not true. They weren't here for gunshot wounds. So they manufactured an entire narrative around this, just like they do around everything else. And I don't know why we can't think about that in the context of Ukraine and Russia and everything else. So to join me today to talk about uh, for our our follow-up, for a conversation we didn't get to in the last one, which was an important conversation around digital IDs and the social impact investing. But coming back today, Derek Bros is going to be discussing his other article around ivermectin in Mexico. And as I framed it today on the, on the title, it really does expose, not like it needs more exposing, but really puts a fine point on how controlled this conversation is around ivermectin, but just really early treatment in general for COVID-19, which is pretty catastrophic when you begin to pick through this and talk about remdesivir and a lot of other things happening and start to ask whether there's more of a choice being made. So thank you, Derek, for joining me yet again. Very important topic. How are you? Hey, I'm good, brother. Thanks for having me back on. I'm glad we could finish this conversation since we got so deep in the other article. Yeah, I, that one really, I still can't stop thinking about that. The social impact investing, not to jump into it on this interview, but it's just such an alarming topic. We're just a bunch of chattel, cattle, however you want to look at it, being bet, bet on and manipulated. And that seems to be where all this goes. And, you know, to, for ivermectin and all this, it's, it's really interesting how obvious some of these things are. You know, whether like to any of these topics, even just taking something like the Great Reset and, and pointing at things that should be concerning to any average person. These are unelected people making choices in your lives that don't seem to care about what you actually want. And then when you point at these obvious things, you get called ridiculous, conspiracy theory. And I've, I've never seen it as 
kind of clownish as it's become today. And maybe that's because COVID, maybe we're all paying attention more than we have before. But ivermectin was one of these that just really just, I think everybody is beginning to kind of laugh at how ridiculous this has gotten other than those that have invested to one degree or another around this topic. So obviously it's been a larger than just Mexico topic, but Mexico was an interesting part of this because I've been seeing, you know, these memes of Mexico uh, drug stores and ivermectin right there on the shelf and, and so on. So why don't you get into, you know, where this kind of picked up for you or maybe, maybe touch briefly on the ivermectin conversation and views you were having before the Mexico thing started or, you know, begin wherever yeah. you want, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, well, I think for the, first of all, for those who don't know, I do live in Mexico. So I've been living in Mexico for the last two years. So I've had the experience of what you were just describing that, you know, we can get ivermectin at probably a dozen different places, five minutes from my house right now. You know, it's, it's pretty readily available. Um, I've taken it. Um, I had friends take it when they felt they were sick, whatever it may have been, uh, just sort of as a preventative measure. I've bought some and taken some back to the U.S. for family and friends just to kind of have on hold if they felt mm-hmm. the need to so that they wouldn't feel the need to rush to the shots and things like that. I also do want to say kind of the disclaimer that you said at the beginning that I hope that none of this conversation, much like our previous conversation, is taken out of context to spin it as if we're endorsing some particular pharmaceutical or even saying right. that ivermectin is the silver bullet that we should all be you know, fighting for or taking. Um, simply, I'll say for me, like I said, I live here in Mexico, so this is Mexico relevant news. Also, the topic of ivermectin has been really important in the U.S. and really anywhere in the world that you're talking about COVID. And you have done a lot of coverage on that. So for all those different reasons, to me, it felt like, you know what, I want to talk about what's happening in Mexico. And especially the focus of this article that I wrote a few weeks back is that there has been this sort of unfolding drama in Mexico because some officials chose to uh, use Uh, ivermectin and distribute it to Mexican residents, uh, particularly in Mexico City and in other parts. But this particular focus is on Mexico City and received some backlash, as you would expect. And there was a whole back and forth. And so I figured, you know what, let me just tell this story in the article. Yeah. And and I'm glad you did because of how, what again, like I said before, it really puts a fine point on on the not just how it's being addressed from the west the western corporate press but how it there's a level of contradictory reporting even from the the resolution of this story which is really interesting to me so so where does this begin with mexico so obviously there's been a battle around the world scientists saying you know actually let me take a step back before we get into mexico i forgot i wanted to ask your opinion on this and just have a quick dialogue about what it actually takes for something to be considered safe or usable, right? Before COVID-19, what, what do we think it takes, right? Like his, historically speaking, it's, there's a lot of scientific research and usually you can find things that will say contradictory things one way or the other, but classically it's always just kind of been that there's a body of evidence, right? And that, that generally speaking, most of it points in the same direction. And for, for, up until now, that's kind of been the way this goes, the FDA and they step in, they do their own studies and so on. But we're at a point now where, and I'll go through and show some of this stuff, where their body of evidence is pretty overwhelmingly clear, that it's, it's, it's directly pointing in one direction. But then you get the institutions that come in with these really quick, like, two-month studies and say, nope, fake, this way. And it's like, okay, well, at what point do we then go, but what about all this other research? And is that all just wrong? Like, give me your thoughts on that and, and maybe your perspective on how this was before COVID. Sure. So, I mean, I think that what you're pointing at there is important because – a big part of the operation has, I mean, at least in my eyes, has been to uh, change 
even more than it already was, but the medical paradigm. And like you said, to move away from what I would consider actual evidence-based medicine. Clearly, we know that these people in power, they claim they practice evidence-based medicine. But as you were just pointing out, that's that's often not the case. But I think that most people assume that that's the way things have gone. The process you just described is like if there's a new drug or you know some sort of um, modality that comes out, it gets tested. There's studies. You know, you might have uh, first research being done about it, then animal studies, eventually human clinical trials. And then, like you said, multiple studies. And then the institutions will come in and say, yes, we give this approval for this particular reason or whatnot. And by that point, the people, American people, Mexican people, people of the world would assume, okay, our health bodies have looked at it. There's been studies, research, or at least this is the assumption we make, right? Is it wouldn't be on the market if it wasn't safe, right? Of course, we, we know with things like fluoride in the water and plenty of other, you know, chemicals and toxins that are on you know, grocery shelves right now, but that's not the case. But I think that's the way most people have assumed it. Those of us who were questioning things prior to COVID, I think probably knew there was already some uh, some corruption, namely what is typically called uh, corporate capture or captured mm-hmm. agencies. You know, this has been going on for a while. We've talked about this before with the 5G conversation with the right. FCC, but you could talk about this with the FDA and the CDC, you know, on and on and on, right? So you have this corporate capture that obviously influences that process and shapes whether or not it's really going to be, you know, that sort of ideal uh, version. And I think that this was a problem existing, and I'm sure you would agree, before COVID, maybe not to the great degree we've seen now, but clearly there was already some malfeasance and some funny games going on in the uh, medical industry and the health industry before COVID-19. Now it's just like a magnifying glass has shined on it, and we've never seen it to this extent. So I think it has radically altered people's perspectives on, for one, people's ability to trust these institutions, you know, people who maybe did believe, generally speaking, that the government agencies of their country were looking out for them and, you know, they they could trust their guidance and their their uh, suggestions. But now there are people, I think millions of people around the world who are now very, you know, having very difficult times believing anything coming out of their official health bodies and health agencies. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would, I would say, I, I think that this has, uh, just like with COVID and other things we've talked about, it's really, it, 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 like you said, put a, a fine point or, or highlighted more specifically what's always been there, right? Like it's all, it is, it, COVID's done that with a lot of things where people are finally beginning to, like even right now with people focusing on, on, on Russia and Ukraine, a lot of people I hear saying it's never been like this before. And I'm like, well, I kind of think it's always been like this and we just haven't been this aware of it, but it, it's, you know, apples and orange or, uh, you know, semantics. But at the end of the day, I think it's been this way, but COVID kind of spun this out of control. And that was my point is I think right now we've had this, whether it was real or not, we've had this perception about what the process was. And now we're at a point where the process they're arguing is the same. And the body of evidence is very clearly, I mean, heavily slanted in one direction, but they just go, but no, here's the right one to look at. And it's very different. And I feel like people are going, okay, how do you explain that? So my point of saying that to get us into this was, why is it that we're at a point now, and then this is kind of just a question for anybody, that we're at a stage where we're not, we're disregarding what we used to acknowledge as like the general consensus and going in a direction of what the authorities tell you, countering that, and even retracting, which we'll get into, peer-reviewed studies. I mean, that, as Dr. Malone and plenty of others said, this is un- un- unprecedented. Never before seen this where editorial teams, which they have their own insights and, and, and expertise as well, but entire panels of scientists having their, their work retracted without even being told because the editorial team decided. And there's one great point we'll get into in your article. In fact, we can just start with that after the Mexico part, but this shows that they just did it because of a political pushback. Very interesting to me. Now, I just want to make set that out. We could talk about things like P-hacking 
and 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 the the bastardized version of where everything tends to be today versus before. But that this is something that is what you spoke about the capturing of these agencies. And now you got a point where scientific endeavors they the scientists themselves are very aware that if they say the wrong thing, go afoul of the agencies, that they will lose their funding. And we have to see that that influences the direction of their scientific research, you know? And so I think that the p-hacking is something where they just ultimately take a, a body of data and just keep mixing it up until it sort of goes in a direction they think they can use, which isn't really honest, right? But anyway, so to start with Mexico, what is it that really grab your attention with this and then, you know, get into what the, the Mexico story was here and what they used and, and what changed. And then we'll get into the data around it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing that caught my eye, like I said, other than just knowing, well, Ryan's done a lot of work on this. I've had some personal experience with ivermectin and this relates to Mexico was that I saw this Reuters fact check, which is where I start the article. Uh, you know, these wonderful fact checks and it was titled Mexico, no longer including ivermectin in home COVID-19 care kits, contrary to claims on social media. So they just do this usual, you know, the way like they like to fact check. I'm sure our audience knows that it's like they take one specific element and they're like, well, technically that's not true. So then don't pay attention to the whole thing. Right. And pretty much this fact check just says that, well, the Mexican government was giving out kits uh, with ivermectin, but they're not currently. So this is false. You know, this this is being fa false information being spread um, around social media. And what it relates to, that's kind of was where I started to dig into is. It relates to that in late 2020, early 2021, maybe by December 2020, if I remember correctly, uh, the Mexican government in Mexico City, the municipal government started to distribute these home care kits that had multiple different things like oxometers and uh, mask and you know hand sanitizer. But it also did include doses of ivermectin. So for a full year, it was being distributed by the Mexico City government officials, and that led to this report, I don't know if we would call it like a scientific paper per se, but they, they call it an observational study, which is what it was. It was, you know, it was basically a first look at here's what we're doing. Here's what we're seeing. We need to have more research. Right. And so uh, this that's what the Reuters thing was focused on first focused on this program. And which, again, according to the Mexican government, distributed four hundred and sixty five thousand three hundred and forty five kits for home treatment that contained ivermectin. And again, Reuters basically says that, you know, because it's not happening anymore, then it's fake news, essentially. Mm -hmm. But as of January 4th of this year, 2022, the kits went from containing ivermectin, aspirin, paracetamol, azithromycin, mm -hmm. and face mask oximeter to now just paracetamol, masks, oximeter, and a flyer. <laughs> so they took out the aspirin and the ivermectin and, you know, however you feel about that. But that was kind of the starting point is just sort of looking into that. And the reality that, yes, the Mexican government did uh, as you have tried to point out and others have, Mexican government, Indian government, even if in yes. small sort of test cases, was distributing ivermectin and was reporting positive results. That's just a fact. You know, people right. can disagree with their methodology or, uh, you know, conflict of interest or whatever other disagreements they might have. But the facts remain that that is what they were doing and that's what they're claiming. So I just kind of use that as a jumping off point to get into the 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 uh, issue itself, which is essentially when it comes when it really comes down to it in Mexico is a another battle over misinformation versus disinformation. Right. You right. have people within the government and within the uh, health agency starting this program because they have read and heard literature and seen the positive results of ivermectin. And they chose to distribute this and have these home care kits and sort of study and watch and see what they what was reported. And it wasn't just being, I, I should make sure to mention, it wasn't just being distributed sort of to any person who showed up. These were being 
distributed specifically to people who had reported being like severely sick or families mm-hmm. who, who had been uh, severely sick and they were given ivermectin and then had the positive results of like, oh, wow, you know, our whole uh, situation turned around or I feel totally right. better, whatever the case may be. So, yeah, um, I don't know if you want me to continue there, if you want to add some thoughts. In- oh, yeah, I've, I've got some thoughts to, to add to in, in general. That And I was actually going to end with this, just be, but it's a perfect time to throw it in here, which is interesting. So basically, we're at a point where they did it. We know that and then stopped it. But ultimately it did happen. And, and it was clear that and there's this weird kind of dynamic where there where of course, as always, the Western press trying to argue that they were experimenting on people. And I'll, I'll show you the British Medical Journal talk on that in a minute. And where they kind of said, well, no, it wasn't really an experiment. At the very worst, it was an observational study. But even then it was more about something that they were using because they knew it had an effect. But before we get into that, I thought it was interesting going to this saying, well, no, they're no longer including it. Okay. Well, what's interesting to me is it's almost as if they're un, unwittingly exposing the point, right? Because this is exactly the argument I made about the India uh, discussion, which here as well, India did the same thing where they put it out because they, and then they, they acknowledge themselves, it is having an effect very clearly. And then of course, because of political pressure, they did the same thing. They stopped using it. And just like I'm going to show you for Mexico, guess what happened? Or this, I'll show you uh, just like in India, like I'm showing you for Mexico, the date that they stopped, which is January 4th. What do you know? We saw, now this is just correlation. Right. You could argue there's plenty of other factors, but it's interesting that they have the highest spike out the entire period on Jan- from January forward. Now, I'll show you again here from Reuters where it says very clearly that January 4th, the Mexican the, the Mexico stopped doing this. Now, I just find that a very relevant point, don't you? Where they're screaming, it doesn't work. And yet the time they did use it was one of the lowest periods they had across the whole time frame. Same with India. And in the moment they stopped, it exploded. Just well, give me your thoughts on that. We can go forward. I found that to be very relevant. That is pretty relevant. Is that so? Is that data you're looking at there? Is that all of Mexico or particular to Mexico City? Uh, no, this is just Mexico in general. Uh, I could, I might be able to find specifically Mexico City. Uh, that would be see. interesting to see if it shows this, if that same uh, pattern holds. Because um, I mean, it might have. You know, yep. it could, there obviously, you there's Mexico yeah, there City. You. Yep. So yeah, and like even, I said, even this, worse so, actually. You notice that it goes way lower right there than it, the other one did. So that would make sense, I would say, because the um, yeah, that is around the time when they canceled this program. And apparently, so this kind of gets into some of the controversy is that before it became an issue and, you know, all of a sudden things needed to be deleted and canceled and withdrawn. Uh, there is pretty good evidence, I would say, based on people I talked to here in Mexico, that they were still passing out ivermectin, mm-hmm. um, even though they are claiming that they weren't, that they might have been doing it all the way into January, which I have no problem with. But then once this kind of became a controversy, they announced this, oh, no, we stopped the program in January and it, it's done. It's over, whatever. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. But what it really gets into. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I got you still. Uh, well, go ahead. And, uh, what I was going to say since. One second. Uh, Okay, no worries. What I was going to say, too, is what, what's interesting for me is that... Hold on one second. I might have to unplug my mic real quick. No worries. Oh, that about? Apologies. No, no worries. No, what I was going to say since we paused is that what, what I find interesting is that the whether or not they were still giving it out or people were still using it, which I, I argue is happening anywhere, you're going to find doctors that will do that. But it's the mass use of it at the right moment. That that's what I think the big difference was. And you, they were handing it out to people when it was necessary, like not necessarily before they were sick, but prophylactic, like at beginning, they notice, okay, you're get you're sick. You're testing positive. Here's a kit. But, and after that goes away, people may still find it may still getting prescribed, but you're losing that perfect sure. moment where that that's what people like Mercola and plenty of people are arguing that this should be done instantly. Like right the moment you notice something, get on it. Right. And I think that's where you see that change. If that correlation is pointing at, you know, as always correlation is not causation. 
but that's sure. very, very damning. And comparing it to what India went through, it's, it's almost identical. And I find that to be really interesting. But go ahead yeah, and take point I'm, if you want to where you left off. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that point up. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, cool. So yeah, what I wanted to get into here is just to get a little bit more into the, so how this situation developed, because I do think it tells us a little bit about, for one, how this, what some people call, it's not really a term I often use, but cancel culture for lack of a better term. But this mm -hmm. idea that somebody's saying the wrong thing, somebody need, on Twitter needs to complain about it until something is done, right? Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much exactly what happened here in this situation. So let's start with what happened first. You got the, what's called the ADIP, the Digital Agency for Public Innovation, which was part of the Ministry of Health here in Mexico City. So this agency within the Ministry of Health in Mexico uh, City, they carried out what they called a quasi-experimental analysis, which showed that people who received ivermectin were 68% less likely to develop symptoms requiring hospital hospitalization. And I know you've covered this before this analysis. Uh, people probably heard about it. It's called ivermectin and the odds of hospitalization by COVID-19, evidence from a quasi-experimental analysis based on a public intervention in Mexico City. So that was the, the paper in question. And on February 4th, the uh, scientific database, which is SOCAR, -X, I don't know how they really pronounce it, S-O-C-A-R-X-I-V, that database decided they were going to remove the analysis. This is the first time apparently it's ever happened that they decided to <laughs> re remove a paper. And this came after uh, enough people were complaining that Philip Cohen, who's the director of the database, first wrote a blog saying that, hey, we don't have a policy for removing documents. We're kind of like sort of saying like, we're not going to do anything. And then the noise just got louder and louder and then they eventually decided to like take it down and so he he goes in and distribute you know uh writing why they they had to take it down he said it had quote demonstrable harms associated with this document and gives four different reasons which include of course that it was contributing to misinformation and what we know is that his motivation to take this down and the whole institute's uh motivation was based at least in part by this tweet thread from uh, University of California sociology professor Juan Pablo Pardo Guerra. And I don't know if he is Mexican or from Mexico or why he chose to like speak up about it, but I thought it was interesting that this is some professor, not even a, it's a sociology professor as well. So I don't know mm -hmm. what his field of study has to do with this uh, in California, who's like, I can't believe this is happening. He goes on and says that them giving out voluntarily giving out ivermectin to people who are ill was comparable to the Tuskegee experiments, which is just kind of insane. And then he called for them to ban the authors from the posting again. And again, that's what basically led to the director of the website and other people, I guess they had meetings and whatnot. And before you know it, they're like, it's it's unprecedented, but we're taking this paper down. And wow. uh, yeah, and so that was kind of where the situation was. And you had different government officials. Uh, their names are listed in, in my article for those who do want to know about them. I think at least mm -hmm. one's worth mentioning, Olivia Lopez, who's the Secretary of Health of Mexico City. Uh, who is you know obviously a bigger official, her and several other people, they had the support as well of Claudia Scheinbaum, who is the head of the government of Mexico City. She's kind of like the mayor, uh, you know, the, the president of the city, as they call it out here. And she also, just sort of for some context, is aligned with AMLO, the president of Mexico. So there's also these, you know, kind of mainstream theories that it's like, oh, this is just because AMLO is speaking against the vaccine. And so his yes. buddies were trying to promote alternative, you know, like they try to make it sound kind of nefarious, but it just seems like perhaps they've been looking at the other research out there and seeing well, that maybe we should look into this. And that's, and it's always important to point out again, this is what we were highlighting before is they try to, that, that's subjective. That's bad journalism. You don't just get to point that you can argue. It may be, you know, like historically speaking, here's what he might've done, but they're arguing things like, because we know how their playbook, like I can't, it's hard for me not to think about today, like Putin's playbook. You know, we know, how can you argue something so subjective and pretend like it's facts? 
You know, what, what, what they're saying is because he doesn't like the vaccine, therefore that's what's happening. And that, that, that they don't know that for sure. You can't speak to someone's intentions. And then of course that's disregarding all the evidence around it, which we'll get into. I just, it frustrates me how willfully dishonest, I mean, again, speaking of people that do the same to you, willfully dishonestly misrepresenting what people are saying and, and doing it for an agenda. You know, it's, it's obvious that people like, what they're doing here is based on the evidence, and even they say that. So if you think that it's something they're doing based on politics, then prove that. Otherwise, shut up about it. You know, that's how I feel today. I'm so tired of what the Western uh, press are doing. I, I'm with you, man, especially because, again, like, so then there's a section here where I get into where I basically I decided to quote the Washington Post because, again, I think mm -hmm. it's interesting that you have this. This is a Mexico story. This is like drama unfolding in Mexico that most Americans and Western folk are probably just have no idea. Even me living in Mexico, I didn't know that this was happening until I started researching it. But the Washington Post, of course, has to report on it because they want every American who reads their paper to know, don't worry about ivermectin. It is still horse pace. It's still garbage. And of course, they had to throw something in like this. They're like, unlike in the U.S., where ivermectin has been promoted by conservative commentators and star podcaster Joe Rogan, the drug was championed in Mexico by leftist intellectuals and top government jobs. And just, you know, the framing of it all. And just so I thought it was interesting for one to do that they did that. But to kind of get a little deeper to the point. Now that the issue has been raised, it started, the tweets started going out, people started complaining. This is what the director of the website that took down the paper said. And I think this is clearly not representative of the facts. He says, quote, to summarize, there is insufficient evidence that ivermectin is effective in treating COVID-19. The study has minimal scientific value at best. The paper is part of an unethical program by the Mexico City government to dispense hundreds of thousands of doses of an inappropriate drug to people sick with COVID-19, possibly continuing to the present. The authors of the article have promoted as evidence that their medical intervention is effective. So, I mean, I just think that, again, the first sentence, there's insufficient evidence that it's effective in treating COVID. There might, I mean, there's evidence that it, it helps in a lot of different ways, I would say. But if there's, even if you could argue that there's insufficient evidence, I would say that's because it's continuing to be ignored. And because the people who are supposed to be doing the research, most of them at least, are refusing to do the research you know, well, and actually yeah. study it. Well, let's let's step into these for a minute. And my audience is well aware of all this stuff. And it's, this is why it's so in, in, infuriating that we have to continue. Like with the mask conversation, it's like, here we go. Let's step through it yet again. You know, this has been there this entire time. You know, and th this this well, this one's from September 2021. But the, uh, the argument that I want people to remember the difference between proof and evidence. Right. They always conflate these things. But for them to honestly stand there and say that there's no evidence, there's not enough evidence is to willfully disregard all of the peer-reviewed random controlled trials that have been done up until this point. This is one of the ones I keep pointing at, but I'll show you the other ones that are new as well. This says ivermectin, a multifaceted drug of Nobel Prize honor distinction with indicated efficacy against the global scourge COVID-19. And the point is very clearly in the, in the abstract, it simply points out that more than 20 random controlled trials have tracked the impact of the outpatients. Six of seven of the meta-analyses of all these random controlled trials show that they found notable reductions in COVID-19. And then the biggest port was right here. Uh, in Peru, they did the similar things. Death fell by 74% over 30 days. You can go through all of these. Now, if you think that's not evidence, then I don't think you understand what the word evidence means, speaking to the people out there, right? That is hands down more sound than anything they've been pointing to since this point. But we can get into a lot of other stuff, including things that just came out. Here's January 31st. Ivermectin literally shows antiviral effect, which all those other ones found the same against COVID, a new Japanese study found. I mean, it goes on and on and on, right? I, 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 you, if you'd like to comment on that, I'd like to go through the British Medical Journal point about that exact point that you just made, the unethical experiment. But what do you just give me your thoughts real quick on how ridiculous that is? I mean, do they not see those things? Do they pretend they're not there? 
What are your thoughts? I think at, at this point, it's obvious that there's some willful ignorance going on. And we could try to speculate about, you know, who is this Cohen man, the director, and why did he choose to ignore this or that? But uh, as you said, the evidence is abundant for anybody who chooses to look and mm-hmm. you yourself and your audience have looked. And I think others who are hearing this will be well aware of that. And for those who haven't, if you stumbled across this conversation and your first inclination is to listen to the mainstream press who's telling you this is garbage or listen to the you know director of this website who said we need to take it down and it's there's no evidence etc uh you know you need to look at all the research is really what it comes down to because these people are, are clearly not and I, I think again this is sort of like our audiences get this these people are clearly not giving us the full picture but for anybody out there who hasn't quite grasped that this is just another example of that um and we'll get into in a few minutes but just how the the uh, the mexican authorities respond and kind of call this out and say like hey this is this is garbage like they didn't one of them apparently did say, oh, I'm sorry, I should have been a mm-hmm. part of this or whatever. But most of them did stand up and say, like, this is garbage. Why is this being taken down based off some tweet, based off, you know, a lack of information? And they point to, as you're doing now, all of the different research that is available and say, OK, well, if you want to attack us, you're going to have to ignore all these other uh, right. bodies of research. Well, on top of the fact that here's all the evidence that shows that it has an effect. Then we have a real world example where we do it and it has a very clear effect. All fake news, though. Right. I mean, it's staggering how willfully ignorant this is. And I, you know, I don't know whether people are aware of it or not, but at the end of the day, as you're pointing out, it's, it's all right in front of you. And, and all of this is undeniable. And it's even coming from people like the British medical journal, or as your point, these are the, what one of the people are, I mean, they're all officials in one way or another with official uh, positions, but one of them is literally the chief uh, medical, I'm forgetting the term all of a sudden, what her actual title was. I had it highlighted, the secretary of health, the person leading the COVID-19 response in Mexico. And yet this is our argument about how people are experts right up until they just say what we're not supposed to say. So are they experts or not? You don't get to just pull that rug out from under them because they suddenly say something you don't like. And the argument is that an expert has the right to speak on things, especially when they're challenging the norm. That's why experts are there and why we should listen to them. But of course, you're not an expert the moment that you go afoul of the narrative. But to go back to this point, and I think this is really important. I just want to go through this really quickly because it addresses kind of a larger point about all the things we're saying, but coming from group, the British Medical Journal, for whatever reason, has been taking a pretty honest stance throughout COVID-19 and really standing their ground against things like the Brooke Jackson whistleblower discussion. And still to that to this point, tell, standing their ground. You guys are wrong. You're lying. You're making stuff up and proving that they knew that they were doing things in these trials that were dangerous. But going to ivermectin specifically, as this says, Mexico City gave ivermectin kits to people with COVID and, quote, unethical experiments, kind of addressing that. Now, it says the government of Mexico handed out nearly 200,000 ivermectin-based kits last year to people who had tested positive for COVID without telling them they were in subjects of an experiment on the drug's effectiveness. Now, that I, I, this is addressing, like, the general discussion. You can make, maybe you just want to comment really quickly on that, because I don't actually think that this article is definitely going in the direction of what we're saying. But that first point. I don't I think even Mexico's pushed back on that. Right. This wasn't something that was done. They're, they're telling you, here's ivermectin. It's in your kit. It, you don't you're not forcing them to take it. Yeah, here's I, don't, I, I don't know. If, I don't think I would agree with that. No, what I'll say is that, yeah, like it was clearly if you're being handed a kit, nobody's forcing it in your throat. Right. So you're going to open up the kit. OK, there's some ivermectin doses if you choose to take them. Maybe. And I would I would be skeptical about that statement. Maybe the uh, Mexican government didn't say, by the way, we're going to do some research and have you follow up or whatever. But I really doubt so because they were following these people and kind of trying to, that was the whole point of them doing this observational study and trying to keep Mm -hmm. up with how it was going. So, um, and I would argue in this instance, it's, 
it's it's since it's a voluntary program, I, I don't think it's nearly anywhere near what they would you know Tuskegee or anything like that. Where right. people are being kind of yeah, that's just a false false comparison. Hundred percent, and they addressed it in this article too. And you're, you're you're dealing with a a government willfully misforming misinforming people about what they're being given, so they can test on them what they want to test. Well, you know, th- that's entirely different. I mean, you're, they're not being handed a bag that says Tuskegee experiment. They're like, no, no, don't look at that. <laughs> you know, it's like it's such a it's a ridiculous comparison. But of course, they want that tie-in. They want that idea. The, the I could go deep on why they're using that, but let's continue on this. The results of that experiment were then written up by the by public officials in, the, in an article and placed on on uh, as you said, soak R X I V. How you pronounce that? It be, it became one of the site's most viewed articles, claiming that it reduced it by up to seventy six percent. In fact, proving that with the real world example. But those officials have been under fire, and of course, we know that they called it misleading, pulled the study. Uh, they. they Deputies of Mexico City's Congress demanded hearings and said that they would bring legal action. I think this is so interesting against the paper's lead author uh, and head of the Digital Agency for Public Innovation. Explain the decision to withdraw the article, the first to be taken down in its history. The site steering committee wrote that it had responded, quote, to a community groundswell beseeching us to act in order to, quote, prevent the paper from causing additional harm. Now, before we go further, Think about how crazy this is. We're talking about scientific scientists, experts, people with credentials, doing work, studying this, writing it, you know, putting it out there, having it reviewed, having it posted on this platform. And then because people just reach out and say, that's dangerous, not experts, I guess, discernibly, and, and they pull it down because of that. I mean, that there's no way to misunderstand that. That's political motivated action. What do you think? Yeah, and I think that is just like you said, it goes against what any person who really believes in the scientific method, true exactly. science would, would say, like, you know, you don't just change something because you're getting a bunch of people complaining on Twitter or whatever the case right. was. And I do want to m- just make one other point that you just touched on there that I think is worth uh, acknowledging just so that uh, the audience has the full picture, that it is 100% true that not every, and, and this should be just kind of common sense because governments are not just one single entity, but mm-hmm. not every single aspect or in, entity within the Mexico uh, Mexico government, or even I would say the Mexico City government endorses ivermectin. Like as right. they say that there are people who are like, there's other agencies within the Mexico uh, government, the federal government that have put out statements similar to what we're hearing here that oh, ivermectin should be used, et cetera. Uh, so I don't want anybody to be given this sort of false impression that like all of Mexico officials embrace this. But the group that was involved in this is absolutely defending their their, their research. Right. I, I, I love I just I can't help but think right at that moment about how people misrepresent objectivity. Right. Are you saying you don't support ivermectin? Jada Derek Rose, is that what you're saying right now? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how that works. Right. It's like you clip that one part and be like, look, he doesn't support it. You know, it's just that, that that's what's happening everywhere today. And it's infuriating. And I I, I applaud you continually for taking the objective stance. It's almost as, a, as if objectivity today is being framed as partisanship and then reverse. You know what I mean? Like literally, yeah. like where we're going, wow. we're trying to take objective stances and like that means you're this or that. And then the reverse is taking a partisan stance is the being objective in the mainstream world. It's, it's fascinating to see how this works. You know, war is peace, right? That's where we are today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but going forward, and this is what I find so fascinating is that the, you know, these people are other than the one person they mentioned down here, are standing their ground and good for them because these the integrity, right? Knowing you're going to get attacked for it and still standing your ground. The committee wrote, <clears throat> excuse me, the paper is spreading misinformation, promoting, <clears throat> excuse me, an unproved medical treatment in the midst of the global pandemic. That's what they're attacking it with. Even though we just proved to you that there's plenty of evidence that shows this, 
The paper is part of and justification for a government program that unethically dispenses unproven medication, apparently without proper consent, which is just a blatant lie, right? I mean, the way that this is being conducted, these people are well aware of what they're being given. It's even listed on a document that I've discussed in the past. But it says three of the authors later appeared at a press conference with the chief of the Mexico City government, Claudia Scheinbaum, citing the article as evidence of the success. One of the authors of, of the, was Mexico City's Secretary of Health, as we just discussed, who tasked, was tasked with overseeing the entire response. Now, in response to the withdrawal of the article, Marino, Lopez, and most of the other authors wrote to its director, urging him to resign. It says, quote, we find it extremely unethical, colonialist, and authoritarian, which I agree with, that in the absence of serious argument, because that's what they're doing, you shut a work down from a political motivation due to the current divisions in your own country. You want to comment on that? Yeah, I mean, I love that they kind of set, they threw that in there because, again, like the it's it's a different environment here in Mexico than the U.S. Obviously, two different cultures, different countries. So they kind of are pointing out, like, hey, don't let your inner debates about ivermectin, you know, come down here because, again, the guy who started the whole tweet thing that brought it to the attention of these people, or at least was one of the kind of deciding factors in the end, according to the director himself. Uh, was a professor in California, you know, was, mm -hmm. like tweeting about like how horrible this is and Tuskegee, this and whatever. And so I'm glad that they shot back and said like, hey, this is colonialist for one, because it is like outside people coming in and saying, hey, let's tell the Mexicans how to run their country. Right. Uh, it's authoritarian because of the reasons they listed. And yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just bringing in their own political kind of uh, drama from the U.S. and trying to assert that into the Mexico conversation. And it doesn't really apply, although they would like it to apply. And, and the, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I'm throw it today, but I don't understand why. It, I mean, look at what they're saying there. And this is what's so obvious to anybody who's objective. You are taking a, a in the absence of serious argument, the fact that people just are unhappy that that was found to be the case, right? That the scientific research pointed in this direction that you're just argument, you just take it down because it's unpopular. I mean, it's just, this is counter to, every, as you said, everything we pretend we know about this process but they're standing by that as, I mean, this just shows you the political consensus of the political agenda is more powerful right now than the actual scientific research. These are the people screaming, trust the science, while they disregard the science. It's just, again, war is peace, ignorance is strength. It's, it's intense. It's, it's incredible to see how obvious this is. Um, some last points here in this comparison. Four Arkansas jail inmates suffered side effects, including vision problems, diarrhea, and bloody stools after the physician at the Washington County Jail treated their COVID with high doses of ivermectin without their knowledge. Now, here would be an example of some kind of a treatment. You could draw comparisons. That's exactly what it would be. And here's why I think, in my opinion, call me a conspiracy theorist, that I think things like this were happening. Just like we saw these weird accidents with the injections and so on, is that, guess what? They received ivermectin doses as much as six times higher than that recommended for deworming. Yeah, that sounds real safe. The drug's normal use. Now, understand there are side effects with normal use of ivermectin, like there are with most things, and that's and that can be problematic. It doesn't mean that the effects we're having with COVID that we've seen uh, studies show roundly aren't there. But what I find interesting is this gets pointed at as one of the reasons, and this is the case. I've found this reference in other articles about why this is dangerous. See, there's why it doesn't work. It, those, those people got sick. Yeah, because they gave them six times the dose. I just think, you know, give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, six times the dose. 
And as it mentions there at the end, they weren't even aware they were being given ivermectin or what, right. what the heck it was. It just like, and because again, there were prisoners, right? This is what you do to prisoners, right? But this is a lot different than a voluntary program where people are being given home care kits that they have a choice of the aspirin in there, the ivermectin, the mask, the oximeter, you know, maybe some of them threw the ivermectin away. Maybe they never even touched it, right? There was no right. force involved. And if they did cho- choose to take it, it was clearly labeled ivermectina, which is, you know, the name for it out here. And so people knew what they're getting. That's the trying to even include that in that BMJ article there is, is I think pretty disingenuous, right? Like, because you, you want, as you said, they want people to draw that distinction and to make mm-hmm. that connection in their minds. Like, Oh, Ivermectin, Tuskegee. Oh my God. I can't believe people are doing this. Next time somebody says something, it's like, Oh my God, you know, people get sick from that. They died. Did you hear about what happened in this Arkansas jail? Right. Blah, 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 whatever, you know, exactly. even though the, they're not even nearly the same situations at all. Yeah. Well, I, but I would argue, and you can read the article for yourself for everyone out there because it is a little bit of a mixed bag. Like I said, the way it starts and, you know, but it, it does generally feel like the person's pointing out that this is not the accurate situation. And I think more so trying to compare that that is a genuine concern. Whereas the people saying the other ones were Tuskegee is a fair, is an inaccurate one. I mean, you could take it for how you wish in the article, but either way, there's important stuff in there. And I agree with your assessment that that's you know, it, it, there's a, there's misrepresentations happening everywhere around this conversation, despite the body of evidence continuing to come out. Right. I mean, here, here's one from February 2022. And it, it's this is our point is that they can continue. And I'll show and I will, to be fair, show you the ones they continue to point at. And, and we can we can look at them, Derek. But these have been continuing to come out again. Don't forget, we have 20 random controlled trials, the, the top level evidence, whereas most you're going to find from COVID days from the government, almost all of them are going to be observational or expert opinion, which are considered the lowest level of evidence. They're evidence, but they're the lowest level. So 20 different studies finding the same that has an obvious effect against COVID-19, most of them finding literal antiviral effects, which is what they continue to try to disregard. And here's the one I was pointing at, strictly regular use. And this is what I think is one of the one of the issues with that other study as well, that they and I'll point at them in a second, that they don't really do the strict strict use. They have other things involved. But as it says here, strict regular use of ivermectin as a prophylaxis, again, not while they're sick, but necessarily right in the beginning or possibly even before, leads to 90% reduction in COVID mortality. And you can read the data for yourself. I hope everybody out there does. It's a, I don't know how this stuff gets disregarded unless people are willfully ignorant or don't see it or have an agenda. That's just my opinion. But if you want to comment before I go to the next one, go ahead. Uh, yeah, well, I have I have another point I want to make. I'll let you continue that. I just wanted to make sure to, since we were reading the response a moment ago, there's a part of my article where I read a little bit more as far as just to make it clear to people that they were defending themselves. Besides the one author that we just said that uh, Saul Caballero, who apparently has you know said, I apologize or whatever, that the majority of them stuck with it. It's in the last section. Uh, it was reported by Mexico News Daily that Mexico City Health Ministry, they put out a statement saying that ivermectin is, quote, safe, cheap, and without adverse effects and controlled quantities. Got and, <laughs> and they and they they will go on to say that it's approved in the country and that distribution of ivermectin to patients was quote not an experiment as some media outlets have deceitfully said. And they also said the use was safe because it can be beneficial to patients and the risk in using it is practically non-existent. And they go on to say, quote, the medication was included and medical kits for ambulatory patients prior to medical evaluation and without complementary instructions. And with complimentary instructions, excuse me, and monitoring, monitoring of symptoms via telephone. So there you go. Like they were following up with people via the phone at no time were experiments undertaken. Now, did the BMJ and again, like I think they were fairly fair in that assessment, the one we were looking at, but they could have included that. Right. Like they put out a statement. They've actually fully responded and, you know, making it clear 
the kind of information that somebody who's really looking for uh, an accurate representation would want to know, hey, it wasn't just given blindly to people. There was follow-up right. phone calls. There was instructions, right? And yeah. they're standing by their their uh, their uh, effort. Right, exactly. Very important to make sure you understand. And this is Owen Dyer specifically. As always, there's, you know, sometimes you get different authors still being posted on the BMJ. But, you know, as always, there, there's people like I would argue this looks to me like somebody who would maybe trying to be objective about it and, and maybe not having all the information in front of them or maybe sure. it was always possible, too. But I think it's pretty clear what we're pointing at here. But to, to what you're saying there, it's just very obvious that there there was no experiment. This is being misrepresented. The people are being told what they're given. There's information about it. You know, and, and just this is the kind of lack of due diligence we see in the Western press. Right? It's very clear. Uh, there was the other point that I was going to make there. I just uh, what was it again? Let's see. Oh, this one. That's right. So th this is what you were generally pointing at. This is an overall study specifically of of ambulatory cases being diminished because of this, not just the kits they're giving out, but as the people are in the ambulance, they're giving them ivermectin, azithromycin, all these different things together. And the point was it found a very clear decrease, which is the same point we're making. It's right here. The therapy improved recovery and prevented the risk of hospitalization among people in the ambulances. I mean, just how much of this can continue to be disregarded? You know, it's, it's almost incredible. But to go through the last part, unless you had any comments on that, no, you can go ahead. This is this is where I. It's important to try to be as as you know, as be be objective and realize that you know here there are people will say well, we're only showing one side of the story. Okay, well here is what we're seeing. This is February twenty second, and these are the studies you'll find them roundly pointing to right now to push out down what we're discussing. And the ivermectin not effective in stopping severe COVID says this study. Now you can point to you, there's a couple of them they point to. What I find interesting is in uh, oh I, I got actually I forgot I closed it there in one of the other mainstream articles you'll find that they just happen to leave out the link to what they're pointing at and only reference one that talks about how conservatives use ivermectin more than anybody, which is just nonsensical for why does that have anything to do with whether ivermectin works, but that's what they point to. But what they're pointing out are these two studies for the most part. Here's the first one, which to me you'll find very quickly is ridiculous because, oh, there's not even results posted on the study. Okay. But so they'll, they somehow maybe have insight of what's going on, or I'm not sure to be quite exact, but they Seemingly just have a study that says they're looking into it. And you can read through this for yourself. Here's the main one that is on JAMA, which is peer-reviewed. February 18th, efficacy of ivermectin treatment on disease progression among adults with mild to moderate. Now, here's the first point to me, is it's not only about people that are already sick, especially with mild to moderate. What they'll keep you, you keep hearing from people like Mercola and plenty of others is early treatment, early treatment, that it's about prophylactic treatment to people that are about to get sick or barely sick. And you could argue, and they do, that it does have an effect, but it's about the early treatment. And so right out of the gate, and they all hear this, they know that. I think that's an interesting point to make, that that may be a way that it's kind of being sidestepped. But here's my main point, then I'll let you comment on this. The ivermectin treatment efficacy efficacy in COVID-19 high-risk patients study was an open-label randomized controlled trial. So it's randomized control conducted at 20 public hospitals and a center, a quarantine center. So right out of the gate, you've got these grasping, sprawling, or not grasping, sprawling studies that are much larger, that go on for years before COVID and here now during COVID and all these different things we've seen, the ones being years or before this in regard to non-COVID stuff, but plenty of other studies that are far larger than this, first of all. Then it says, they did this between May 31st and October 25th. So it's amazing to me that we're going to point at a study that's five to six months at a limited location. And they're choosing these locations, which I don't know, you know, I'm always concerned about that, but then compare them to things that are meta-analysis of multiple random control trials over multiple long periods of time and act like that then counters all of that. My point from before, 
That's just ridiculous. Yes, it factor it in, right? And compare them. But if we're still standing at a point where we've got all these random controlled trials that come to the same conclusion, and then this one that just in a shorter period of time that finds the opposite, you'd still go, okay, well, the body of evidence still points in one direction. But they don't. They ignore all the rest of it and only point to the one that says what they think it should. It's just dishonest, right? Yeah, I think that is being dishonest. And let's, you know, I haven't looked at that that uh, research there myself, but let's even say that maybe, the, you know, if even if the data is correct, like you said, it's focused on people with comorbidities. It's focused on people right. who are already sick. Nobody has ever said that ivermectin was going to be like a cure-all, that it was going to bring people back from the dead or that it could, you know, per, uh, stop people's comorbidities from affecting them. And, you know, I mean, it, I don't think anybody has, or at least neither of us are saying that this is a silver bullet kind of drug that everybody should embrace yeah. right so we're pointing at studies that that counter uh what the mainstream narrative is and of course the mainstream as you said they come up with more recent research and it and people are quick to point at that and say see it's over it's done i think you hit the nail on the head right there and that was the secondary point which is the comorbidities right you're, you're taking people that already have pre-existing issues and that's one of the ways we already know that they're they're laying all this the feet of covid in a lot of different ways that which they've admitted to so if we're taking people that already have comorbidities and we're dealing with them in the same way or even adding this in the mix you're going to find a similar amount of people that will just end up being negatively affected regardless as if none of this has any effect. And it's just their comorbidities that are driving the problem. You know, these are things they would consider after the vaccine. <laughs> of course, we won't consider it before the vaccine or in regard to ivermectin, but after they're going to, well, you can't look at the efficacy of the vaccine because some people make different choices and their comorbidities and age differences and, you know, all the factors they don't want to regard, regard before. But I think that's the obvious point, at least to consider. But so a limited time frame specific locations, wrong timing in regard to when it should be used for the most part, and then the factoring in of all these other issues. I think the obvious test would be done like these other random controlled trials, taking people that are, you know, I would say middle-aged, same issues, none for the most part, and using early treatment and seeing how that affects it. And by the way, that's what Mexico for the most part, not the age part of it, but did early and we saw the effects. But going forward, it says the primary outcome was the proportion of patients who progressed to severe disease defined as the hypoxic stage recurring, uh, requiring supplemental oxygen to maintain pulse oxygen saturation. So I also wonder how many of these people got treatment, which is basically what they're saying, right? We know that the ventilator as has been spoken out by plenty of experts and doctors doing it is one of the most problematic things that we have been doing, which is actually hurting most everyone that gets it because it's not actually treating what they think they're dealing with. As Dr. Rydell pointed out, that we're treating something that's not what we see in front of us and so on. So part of there's another aspect of it. How many people that were that ended up getting sick but were put on a ventilator that didn't need it and hurt them anyway? Just a thought. But then finally, the main point was simply 490 patients, including the primary analysis. And it simply points out that 52 of 241 of people that were uh, that were in the ivermectin group and then 43 of 249 in the control group progressed to severe disease. So the, uh, the argument is it would make it look like it, there's no real effect. But in this short period, people that were already sick, right, you can see how this is really not as sound as they try to make it out to be. And it just simply finds that ivermectin treatment during early illness did not prevent progression to severe disease. Now, first, give me your thoughts on what do you think? We're, what do you think there? Um, like I said, I definitely want to look further into that one there to get a better feel for it. But I do think you're bringing up some important points. I mean, the comorbidities, as I mentioned, stick out to me. The uh, you know the focus on people who are already sick, and and like you said, there are people, you know, Marcola, others, plenty of others who've been uh, recommending COVID at, or recommending ivermectin to treat COVID or to treat these, you know, these things going around. 
in the early stages or even preventative. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of people I know in Mexico who do use ivermectin, who buy ivermectin, kind of keep it on the shelf in case they feel like, oh, I don't know, I'm starting to feel a fever or not that you would say you would take it every day or anything like that. But in the time of COVID where people have been extra concerned about it, or if you feel something that feels beyond your typical, like, oh, I'm getting a little cold, somebody who has been concerned about that, you know, they might take a little bit of ivermectin to sort of preventative uh, as a preventative measure. And that's the main way that I become familiar with it. I definitely haven't uh, seen a situation where somebody is uh, super severely sick, and especially to the point if they're having trouble, again, with comorbidities, where they're considering putting them on a ventilator or something like that, and then take ivermectin and assume that they have a 180 degree, you know, turnaround. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it just does there's, there's a lot of caveats for me in this whole thing. And the bottom line comes down to you can find it the most sound you've ever seen in your life. You can't then disregard the other body of evidence, which is the point we made right in the beginning. That's not how this works. Just because they point to the one and go, that's the one. Look at that one, right? And half the time, those end up being observational, not as sound as random controlled trials. This one is a random controlled trial, but you have to factor it all in. And all they continue to do is disregard anything that says the opposite and point to what they want it to say as the only ones that matter. There's no way to see that as anything other than dishonest. You know? I agree. Good. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to to point out one more thing. I have an article I just want to show one section on before Mm -hmm. uh, just closing thought on the rest of my article there. But this is just a point that I think, again, we're taking and I'm glad you brought up that ivermectin study. And we've talked about multiple angles here so people can see that we are being objective and we are showing, uh, you know, different angles here. I can't get it to open at the moment, but let me just read. Mm -hmm. It's just literally one line. This this article is from a a Mexican uh, news agency. And what it's pointing out is the. This, the uh, the mayor of Mexico City, the woman we mentioned earlier, Claudia Scheinbaum, she's you know she's the one who was in this, involved in this program. She is seen as an ally, a friend, an associate of AMLO, the current president of Mexico, like within his same uh, political party. And so this article, and again, this is just another piece of the information to try to understand why would there be all the, why would there be this attempt to uh, attack. Uh, this woman or Mexico City in this program, besides just people saying, oh, it's harmful, it's causing harm. This gives you just another layer to consider. And what it says here is that uh, the case for this uh, ivermectin program has been used by Scheinbaum, the the mayor of Mexico City, by her political rivals. She is believed to be the natural successor to AMLO and is ahead of most polls for 2024 presidential elections. She insisted that this attack on ivermectin was merely a, quote, smear campaign against her. So that's just another piece of the information to think about that, like what we're witnessing as well does have political implications out here in Mexico. They're not just bringing this up randomly. It's because the woman who was part of the program is an associate with AMLO. And some could say, well, of course, AMLO's crazy ideas. Of course, his crazy friends are going to have ideas. It's still harmful. But I think it's important to understand there's also political maneuverings going around. There's not, you know, there's, it's not just randomly that people are attacking this program when it's been around for a year. It's been around for a year. And all of a sudden there's this attack and there's sort of a guilt of association. Look at her. She did this program and it's harming people. It's, you know, Tuskegee, blah, blah, whatever. So yeah. I just want to mention that that's just another factor in the whole thing. And then the kind of final point I do want to just, if we could encapsulate it all, the one thing that I ended the article with was just saying that this is, as far as I'm concerned, part of a larger picture of uh, shouting down critics, silencing people on social media, demonizing people, you know, the corporate media machine, and also during COVID, this rewriting of history as it's literally happening, right? So this idea that 
looking back in the coming years that we are going to be told and the coming generations will be told that there was this dangerous drug, ivermectin, that some people, you know, idiots, of course, anti-science idiots, just for whatever reason, wanted to take this horse paste. And these different nuances and layers that we're discussing here in just this one situation in Mexico City, and there's so many other uh, examples, are going to be completely lost to the pages of history for the most part, and at least for from the mainstream perspective. It's just going to be this one thing, like, you know, mm-hmm. disinformation campaign spread ivermectin around and people started getting sick, right? Just however they want to to rewrite it. And what I wrote here was that with ivermectin, this apparatus of propaganda can prevent individuals who might benefit from the drug from using it. And when it comes to big, even bigger topics, which affect not just one individual's life, but the lives of millions of people around the world, we can see the true danger here. And that is that, you know, they're controlling information. They're controlling people's access to that information and understanding that. And, right. you know, to me, this is just part of the, the machine that, as I put, the machine wielded by the uh, predator class that keeps the average person blind to any bit of information that helps them escape from this kind of control matrix. And this is ivermectin is just one example of this. You know, we have obviously many, many other examples, but I think that's important for people to really take home here that, you know, besides the nuances and the different specifics to the Mexico City situation, this is all about controlling the narrative. This is all about controlling the information you have access to, controlling what you can put in your body and controlling which decisions you make. Absolutely. And that's a great point to end on how it ties back into everything else that's happening. And we have we have to see it under that in that context today, whether it's foreign policy or, or, or pharmaceutical. It's obvious there's an agenda that's that all of this is kind of being pushed into right now. And if you, if you can't see that, I mean, I feel like it's kind of a willful choice at this point because it's they're telling you that that's what this is. We're reimagining everything. A couple points to end on, I think, is important, as you pointed out, the politics side of that. I think you can't miss the crossover with, you know, Republicans did that. Trump did that. Oh, now she's like Trump, right? She's the, and that can even cross over into being a white supremacist alt-right mentality. And then you're Mexico on her doorstep and you see all this building and how these things can be framed with nothing but narrative. Oh, she used ivermectin. Oh, she wore a red hat. Therefore she's a Nazi. Don't you know? You know, that's, that's all you need today. Right. And, and finally, I think about how ridiculous it is that we're at a point today where they have been jamming down your throat an unapproved experimental injection until they claim they have an approved thing that they still don't bring out to you. So they're still jamming down your throat an unapproved experimental injection with no, I mean, the evidence behind this is continued to dissolve in front of you, right? But they're going, but just do it because we're in danger. And we were talking about a drug that has long history of it's FDA approved. Yes. For other uses, sort of like aspirin is, but it gets used all the time for other purposes. And, Countless peer-reviewed studies have come out saying it's perfectly safe. It's perfectly worthwhile, you know, not as safe as any of these things really are, and that it absolutely has an effect, and that's dangerous. But here's an experimental drug that we're hurting people with, but that's that's totally acceptable. Like, just think about that dynamic, and even those that have decided to believe that that's safe, even despite all the evidence, just recognize that you're if you're taking narrative versus verifiable fact that as that ends up being dismissed one way or the other. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's hard to get people to see that when. You know, they're, everything is invested in one narrative or the other, but I'm hoping people will take the time to look at what you discussed today, to look at your article, to look at the information, and at the very least realize that it's not as sound as they want you to think it is. So anyone, anything you else want to leave us with, Derek? And actually, if you, after that, want to talk about anything else that you have going on in, in Mexico and elsewhere? Yeah, absolutely, brother. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you really uh, said it well there at the end that it's, Uh, I'll just repeat what I said a moment ago. I mean, you should have the opportunity, the ability to choose what you put in your body. You should have the ability to go out there and make informed decisions. And the way you're supposed to be able to do that is by uh, 
taking kind of a scope of all the data that's available. And we know that that's a lot of work for the average person, which I think is why these kind of interviews are important to take these big topics and, and provide people with the access to the stories and the links and they can go further because people do recognize that they can't trust just the Mexico health ministry. They can't trust just the FDA. They can't trust, you know, the whatever bodies they have, and they shouldn't blindly trust them as well. Right. right? If you were doing that before COVID, thankfully you've woken up now and you can start questioning these things on your own, because as we're showing here, there are more pieces of the puzzle than just simply, Oh no, somebody's doing bad things and they're trying to harm people. There's multiple layers going on here. There's a discussion around the colonialism, the authoritarianism, the what, why is the political division in the U.S. have to do with Mexico, right? Oh, and what are the right. political kind of behind the scenes thing happening in Mexico that we're not really aware of, right? There's so many layers here, but instead to bring it back to where we started, Reuters fact check, false. You know, that's just, that's all the people, that's all they want the Western audience to know is, oh, in case you heard there was ivermectin in Mexico, don't worry, we got a fact check to tell you it's false. It was harmful. Don't worry about it. So, that's where I would end that. And then I would just love, like to mention uh, to anybody who is curious or wanting to know uh, more about what I'm doing, literally as we end this call and in this interview, I'm about to get back on the road. I am one week, myself and Miriam are one week into a five week tour, just like we toured nice. the United States last fall. We came to uh, work with you and, and the community out there. We're doing a Mexico activation tour now, and the website nice. is still the same, activationtour.org if anybody's interested. We are doing... 15 cities and 17 different events. We've already done uh, four of them in the last week, and we're just kind of taking a, a, a break right now, but we're about to hit the road again, and for the next four weeks, I'll be on the road traveling Mexico and pretty much doing the same thing. We're going to be hosting events, bringing uh, in, in important topics. You know, the message is going to be similar, but somewhat different than it would be in the U.S. I mean, obviously different country, but some very specific differences in the fact that, as I've told you before, one of the reasons some people, especially Canadians, have left Canada to get the heck out of there have come to Mexico is for one, Mexico has been one of the few places that never required tests or vaccines or quarantines to come in. But also in terms of technocracy, many people see Mexico as being behind uh, the technology, the technocracy. I've, I've written articles about this for T-Lab. Uh, they are, of course, attempting to bring it down here. And that's kind of what my focus is, is for this tour. I'm speaking to the Mexican community and saying, you know, in case you're noticing all these foreigners coming here, it's because we're trying to get away from technocracy that we might see growing yeah. elsewhere and don't let it happen to your country here. You know, get ahead of the game. Let's work together. And then as when we're going to be speaking to the expat audience, the foreigners who have come here to settle, I notice that some people are kind of living on permanent vacation, if you will. They just, okay, we made it to Mexico. Let's hang out at the beach all day and sort of maybe they were activists back home, but they figure, oh, that'll never happen here. Right. And so the yeah. message is sort of to the expat foreigner audience who's here is, Stop acting like it's never going to happen here. Start connecting with the Mexican activists and the people who are awake to this, and let's build the movement out here. You know, I've been uh, working on a number of different projects. I, I've mentioned uh, to James Corbett and to you as well, like we've been just making this effort to reach as many Mexicans as possible and really Spanish speakers around the world. We started this project that's part of the tour, sort of, that we're doing Translate the Truth. So, like, mm. all of our events are in Spanish and English. Uh, my books are all in Spanish now. My documentaries are in Spanish. We're selling book uh, shirts in Spanish and English, right? We're really making an effort to try to bridge that gap. And the beautiful thing is in the last year and a half, there have been groups created around Mexico, some of the first kind of COVID truth groups, United for Truth and Mexicans for Truth. And we're actually having some of those Mexican activists reach out to us and say, hey, I heard you're doing this tour. We want to work together with you. We want to collaborate. So I'm really just excited about the potential that is going to come from this already in just the first week of the tour, we've made some new contacts, some new connections with both um, expats, foreigners, as well as Mexicans who are, you know, born and raised here in Mexico who want to be involved with this 
uh, growing movement. So yeah, I'm really excited. And again, activationtour.org in case I know that plenty of people in the US have family and friends down in Mexico. So go to the website, check out the schedule. You can see where we're going to be. As with the previous tour, we're adding the flyers with the details as we get them. And uh, we invite everybody to come. All the events are free. It's just about taking action, you know, activation. There's a reason that name we keep harping on that is because as I've been kind of hinting at recently with my work, I think I even said it in our other talk the other day, that uh, being awake is no longer enough as far as I'm concerned. Like we have to take action in our lives, whatever that means for you, for your community. I can't tell you what that looks like, but this, I'm at least choosing to spend this time. We're spending the next five weeks traveling Mexico and encouraging uh, everybody that will listen to pay attention to what's going on because the narrative hasn't, it's not over. Just because the, the, the sort of top level narrative is switched doesn't mean that the game is over. doesn't mean we should stop worrying about technocracy, Agenda 2030, the Great Reset, etc. So this is just another effort, just like we traveled the U.S. to spread the message. Now we're talk, uh, traveling across Mexico to spread the message. And uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting next few weeks. Awesome. I look forward to hearing about it. And, you know, maybe I can drive down there if I find the time. We'll see if it's close. But <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- and th- one last, you know, if, you, if you're out there and, you know, you're considering you're, you got kids and all responsibilities and everything, and you want to just find one easy action that you can take, I think the obvious thing we can start doing today for those that are looking for that is just start voting with your dollar. Start taking every action that yep. you can to not use money in places that don't agree with what you're trying to create in the world. I know, you know, you like your Frappuccino at Starbucks, but it's time to start going, well, you know, I can make it here or I can go to this little coffee shop over here that supports my right to make my own choices. So very important because truly that's the only vote they even care about anymore. So absolutely. Thank you for being here, Derek. And uh, outstanding work as always. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. For everybody out there, as always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.